you guys want to go ahead and open your Bibles to James 3, uh, <clears throat> that was our scripture reading, but we'll refer back to that passage here at the beginning of the lesson. First 12, 12 verses of James 3. You know, I don't know that today is really much different than yesterday. You know, the, the preacher in Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. Um, but he didn't have Twitter. And he didn't have Instagram. And, right? Really, what I was thinking of is um, what I see on, on social media is there's this high praise and appreciation of any way that you can in 140 characters cut somebody off at the knees and just walk away. There's this praise of cutting people down, um, doing it in very short order. Uh, it's almost a, a skill that people are honing. You know, how can I respond to this in only one post or one statement or whatever so that the entire argument is closed and done and complete and I've either destroyed an argument or I've, or I've destroyed a person um, and that's why I started by saying I don't think anything is really new I don't think the nature of our social media being short on characters has changed that I mean philosophers have had one-liners that they thought shut down entire arguments in the past uh, for centuries. Um, but is that, well, I won't even ask the question. That's obviously not the kind of thing that Christians are supposed to be involved in, um, destroying people, tearing people down. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is how is a Christian supposed to use communication? And I'm going to use the term speech or words or language or whatever, but it, it goes to what we write what we post, um, what we imply, uh, even in communication. Um, so first we're going to talk about the facts, and that a lot of the facts about speech and the difficulties are in James chapter 3. We're going to look at the facts he lists there, um, and how powerful speech is, the challenge of controlling it. After that, we're going to look at uh, how we're tempted you know, what are the temptations with regard to speech and words? Um, and why is this, you know, what's the big deal? Why is this a big deal? I'm just communicating, and I'm communicating what I want to communicate, right? So are there temptations involved here that we have to be aware of? And finally, we're going to see what God's intent is for our speech. Um, he has an intent. He has a purpose uh, for us, um, and I hope to, to be able to show that. So I'm not going to read all of these 12 verses in James 3. I hope uh, you were paying attention or you have it in front of you. Um, I'm just going to go through some of the facts that he states. If anyone stumble, does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. That says a lot about speech. If you can make it through life having never said the wrong thing, you're perfect. In fact, James says if you can accomplish that in any span of time, then in that same span of time you've mastered your body. I mean, your whole body is under your control if you can not say the wrong thing at some point. Right? Um, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. And he compares that to bits and horses' mouths and rudders for ships. It's interesting that the two images he uses are steering images. Right? 
the bit keeps the horse under control but steers it, you know, right or left, and the rudder is very small and steers the ship. Well, then what does that have to do with boasting great things? Right? Well, you say something, you boast something, you better fulfill it. Right? Oh, now I said it, now I've got to do it. Right? You don't have it under control, right? Your tongue's going to steer you where it wants you to go, where your pride wants you to go, where Satan wants you to go. You just blurt things out, right? You're going to be held accountable for the things that are said in a hasty manner. So in that sense, yeah, it can steer you. And even if you don't, right, you say, no, I'm not going to do what I said. Well, then you're going to have all this pressure and backfire and everything, people around you saying, hey, you said it. Right? Stick with it. Why are, why are you failing in this? Right? As a fire, right? the image of fire is used. As a flame, the tongue can set ablaze an entire forest. Right? We all understand, or, or more than likely, we've experienced around us or we've seen on the news forest fires. And I don't know how they ever trace it back to the start. But every once in a while you say, well, it started by someone... You know, they had a car accident on the side of the road, and the catalytic converter actually was so hot it caught the field on fire. And so this huge, I, I know that was one of the stories in Colorado and Wyoming, you know, several years ago. There was a car accident that started a fire that burned, I don't know how many, tens of thousands of acres of land, right? That's a very small thing, right? In fact, the car is not actually on fire. It just has a hot piece of equipment, right? And that was hot enough to start some grass on fire. Well, James here is saying the, the tongue is a flame, right? It's always sitting there. It's ready. It's ready for some fuel. And in, if we unleash it, we can find that fuel and just burn down a whole forest. Right? That's just a fact. He's not saying it's probably or maybe or could be. He says that's what it is. He says we can tame every animal on earth and we can't tame the tongue. He said, just look at, you know, people taming lions and, I mean, he doesn't say that, but I'm just saying, right? He's suggesting that to our minds, right? Taming lions, taming elephants, taming everything, getting these huge animals to do our bidding or do tricks or whatever, and we don't tame the tongue or can't tame the tongue. And it tends toward a duality, Blessing and cursing, right? James says, with the tongue we bless our Father, and with the tongue we curse men made in His image. He says this should not be so. Really what, what he's saying is, at, toward the end of those verses, where you don't have the same kind of water coming from one spring, is even though it seems like we're blessing and cursing, there's only one source. The source is has integrity. There's not there aren't two sources in you that spout forth blessing and that came from a good place and then cursing and that came from a bad place. What he's saying is you're fooling yourself by thinking there's really two sources or two things coming from your mouth. There's one. Right? One well does not produce fresh water and salt water. Okay, so those are some facts. Right in James. Now let's turn over to Matthew chapter 12. I want to look there. Jesus also had some things to say about speech. <clears throat> really, he wasn't focused on speech in Matthew chapter 12. Um, he was focused on 
character, I think. Um, but in verses 33 through 37, I want to look at some other things we can pull out about our speech. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. And the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless or idle word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Okay, we see this sort of duality here mentioned again and dismissed also by Jesus, saying good comes from a good man. Evil comes from an evil man. He's not saying you've got these two treasures and you're giving two speeches or two words right but there are also these other I want to say there's two more facts here to add to the list one every careless or idle word that people speak they'll give an accounting for we're going to talk about that in just a second um, but that's just what Jesus says and I think we should know what that means um, and then he follows it up slightly different idea but related by our words, we will be justified or condemned. I think we need to think back to the boasting that James talked about, right? In James chapter 3. Um, that boasting can steer us, right? If we speak things in haste, right? Well, now I've got to follow up on that. I've got to do that. I've got to save face somehow, right? Well, if we say the right things, then we're, there's no saving face. We say the things that are good... And we follow those up with actions that are good, right? Well, we'll be justified by our words. And if we say things that are good, and we follow them up with things that are evil, we'll be condemned by our words, right? And if we just say things that are bad, well, that's obvious, right? We're not even speaking the things of God at that point. Okay, so... This is just a list, right? Just things to notice that James and Jesus says about the tongue, about our speech. Things we need to keep in mind. So what are the temptations, right? What temptations are associated with this? We've seen a couple in these passages already, I think. Um, James, uh, you know, we see the tongue being used to curse men, right? So that must be a temptation, right? If he says that's set against blessing God as a bad thing, well then... Right? It must be a temptation we face somehow. Right? Uh, Matthew 12, we see judgment based on our words, troubling reference to careless or idle words. I want to talk about that now. It's not an unrelated topic, but I'd say a kind of a sidebar topic. What are these, what are these careless words? What is this temptation to say a careless word? Is that, is that just, I don't enunciate very well and I kind of mumble my words? And, well, that's not what he's talking about, right? But the Greek word that's used there is, carries the idea of laziness, right? Somebody who talks lazily, but it's not about the formation of words in your mouth, right? With your lips and your tongue. It's laziness of mind, right? Um, 
really what Jesus is saying is you're going to be called into judgment for saying things that you haven't thought about before you said them. You didn't put any effort into what you allowed to come out of your mouth before you said it. You just let it fly. Now, maybe you put a lot of emotion into it. Sometimes we think, well, I won't, I won't speak for you. Sometimes I think, because I've, I've got the emotions behind the words, that I've put thought into it. It's like the opposite. <laughs> right? Well, I really mean what I'm saying, so I'm going to say it. Well, meaning what you say means you've got a lot of intent behind it. doesn't mean you put any thought into it. That's a careless word. Um, I think as humans, we're always tempted to like replace uh, judgment with emotion. Well, my emotions are really behind it, so it must be the right thing to do. And my emotions are tuned the way they should be all the time, right? Well, of course not. So we have to be careful. Um, it's it's an effort to make sure. Um, that what we're speaking is not going to do the things we read about in James. Right? We slow down and we put some effort into, is this going to be a curse of mankind? Is this going to be a fire that sets ablaze? Is this, um, is this going to be like a wild animal that I have no control over once I say this? And is this going to be boasting that I'm now going to be held accountable for? Um, or is it just something I feel like saying? I just got to get it out there. Right? That's a careless word. Um, I think something that falls into this category are euphemisms. And I want to bring that up here. It's, it's sort of related because I think it, it can be a use of laziness. It can be a, a reason um, or it can be a manifestation of laziness. But I also want to bring it up because I think it's important for us to know what what euphemisms are. They're substitutions, but they're substitutions with a very specific purpose. They want to make something more palatable to the hearer. So, for example, a CEO who stands up in front of his employees could say, I'm firing all you people. Or he could say, we're downsizing. Or you could say we're right-sizing. That's the new, right? We're not downsizing, we're right-sizing. It's, it, it's not changing the meaning at all. They're all being fired. Right? But it's made it more palatable. It's more acceptable. It's less harsh, right? It's not as harsh as saying you're fired. <coughs> right? it, it's something that plays on... I don't know, political correctness, sentiment, emotions, right? Because some things we say don't need euphemisms. They're just not harsh. Nobody considers them harsh, right? Like, I like pizza. Well, you don't have to make that more palatable to people because they didn't get offended by it, right? You, do you see what I'm saying? So euphemisms change all throughout time as people's sentiments change and as society changes and as political correctness changes, right? We substitute words or phrases. But the point of a euphemism is it has the exact same meaning. 
if you actually substitute a word in and it changes the meaning, it's no longer a euphemism because you change the meaning of the statement, right? If I was going to say, you're all fired, and I stand up and I say, I'm giving you all hamburgers, right? Well, if I substitute hamburger for pink slip, you see how that's not a euphemism anymore. I'm giving you all pink slips and I'm giving you all hamburgers are two completely unrelated ideas. So hamburger is not a euphemism for pink slip just because I use the word in the place of it. Euphemism has to carry the same idea or it's not a euphemism anymore. Okay. Now, that's a temptation for Christians, I think, because we want to sound gentle and kind, but we want to communicate with people. And we think, well, I've got to communicate with this person on the level they understand, so I'm just going to use their language, but I'm going to... I'm going to substitute a nicer word for this word and they'll know what I mean, but I'm not going to say that word or that phrase. Right? That would be the use of a euphemism, and that's, I think that's one of the temptations we have as Christians. Right? But if we don't change the meaning, right? I, I know this sounds, this sounds uh, silly to say this, but the meaning of our speech is what has the real meaning, right? I mean, the idea we want to impart to people is where the real power is in speech. And if we're going to impart ideas that we wouldn't speak, and we're just going to change a word or two because it sounds better, well, we shouldn't impart that idea at all. We should not convey that meaning at all in any form or fashion. Right? I think a more popular term or a more broad term that we're more accustomed to is, the, is slang, right? Slang words. That's way more broad than euphemism. Euphemism is a type of slang, okay? But we might get tempted to say slang words that, you know, maybe can be said at work and they carry this idea, right? this evil or wicked idea because it's accepted at work. But it carries the idea from base language, common language, the street. Right? If we wouldn't say the word that it replaces or the phrase or, to, or convey the idea, we have no business conveying the idea at all. Right? Now, I want to turn to something that often gets thought of as euphemisms, and that is exclamatory phrases. Right? Exclamations. Like, oh, or wow. Right? People in society today use the phrase, oh my God, right, as an exclamatory phrase in the society. No one saying that phrase is thinking about deity. No one saying that phrase is owning deity, even though they say, my God. The idea that's being conveyed by the phrase, oh my God, has nothing to do with Jehovah. And that's what makes it profane. That's the whole point, right? Is that we're calling out to a God or about a God 
and we have him in mind and we don't have him in mind at all. We don't even respect him. Right? That is a societal use, right? Of something that should be holy in a profane way as an exclamation. Now, what if I say an exclamatory word? My favorite one is from South Africa. It's Aish. They say it all the time. I think it's the favorite one in South Africa. Just Aish. It can be good. It can be bad. It can be surprise. It can be sadness. I mean, every single emotion that you want to express is Aish. Right? And they admit, they use it for everything. Right? Now, if I see, if I get surprised or if I get somebody comes and tells me bad news or good news and I say, Aishman. Well, just because the guy next to me would have said, oh my God, and I used Aish. Did I now use a euphemism? No. I used an exclamatory phrase that has nothing to do with deity. It has nothing to do with owning or disowning a God or calling God to account or calling God to action. Right? I used an exclamation. All exclamations are not euphemisms for each other. Right? It's an exclamation. Like, wow. Right? What we need to do as Christians in our speech, this is not... This is not some way for you to go out and diagnose. Mm, how is Kirby speaking? I'm going to listen to Kirby for the next week, and I'm going to I'm going to figure out if she's using euphemisms, if she's using exclamations. What is she using euphemisms for? This is not what this is. This is a tool for you to sit down and say, "What do I say when I'm surprised? What do, What do I say when somebody comes to me with bad news? Like if I turn on the news and I saw that, nuclear, uh, that uh, North Korea had launched a nuclear bomb and it hit Honolulu, right? What would I say if I turned on the news and I saw the, the mushroom cloud? What would I say, right? And then write it down and say, okay, now I need to evaluate. Is this, am I using this as a euphemism or is this just an exclamation? Right? That's on you. And you know it and God knows it. That's the only two people who will ever know the truth about it, the matter. You and God. But we cannot be careless about it. We have to be thoughtful. Prepare yourself ahead of time for what What am I going to start saying. If you think you can't change what you say when you're surprised, you're wrong. You can't because I say H now all the time. And my first trip to South Africa was when I was, I don't know, 33 years old. Right? You can change it. All right. That was the sidebar. Now, I believe it does fit under carelessness, right, for euphemisms. We need to think about what we're saying. All right. So let's leave that aside. And I want to talk now about other temptations. All right. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 specifically. So in, in Colossians... Three, Paul is talking about, um, you know, putting off 
the old man, putting on the new man. And here in verses 8 and 9, there's some things that we're supposed to put off. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Um, the first couple, anger, wrath, malice, those may or may not involve speech. They usually do for me. If I'm angry, usually the first thing I do is I, I talk about it. I say something in anger. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. Right. The next ones, however, slander, abusive speech, those can only happen when we open our mouths. Right. Those things must be put off. So they must be temptations then. Right. To slander someone, slander is just speaking bad of someone. An abusive speech, that's pretty self-explanatory. You can abuse someone with words without ever touching them physically. Right? And that can be done in the heat of the moment. It can be done carelessly. But it's something we, ha- we are tempted to do. Not mentioned in this list is gossip. I'm not going to turn, but there are tons of passages. Romans 1, 29, 2 Corinthians 12, 20, 1 Timothy 3 and 5, 2 Timothy 3, Titus. He, said, he, he had a lot to say to the evangelists about gossip. Um, we shouldn't be involved in gossip. Right? True or false, stating things about people to other people that are intended to be private or even if they weren't intended to be private, do harm to a person's character or standing or influence, condemned straight up. This is not one of those areas of gray. It's like a black and white. Just don't do it. But we must be tempted to do it or we wouldn't be warned against it so much, right? We want to tell it, usually because it makes us feel above that person I don't struggle with that but boy this person you know what happened on Saturday night let me tell you where was I Saturday night I was probably anointing my children with olive oil and singing hymns and right I mean that's the whole point is to make me look like this right by implication well I wouldn't do that If you're like me, you may not even think of any of these things as, tem- as actually being temptations. Right? For me, the reason I don't is because I cave so quickly. I mean, I, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not joking. I'm serious. It's just like that. It doesn't even have time to register in my head before I let it out. That's the problem. Right? That's the problem. If you're like me and you've given free reign to your tongue most of your life, it's hard to convince yourself that this is a problem. You just say what you want to say and you fix things later if they need fixing and if you feel like it. Right? That's not the pattern we see Jesus or James speaking of here. All right, so what about God's intent? Let's look also in Colossians 3. 
verses 1 and 2. This is the foundational statement, right? Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. What this means is that those things above should be the springboard from which we form thought and form speech. I'm going to say this thing to Robin because Jesus is reigning in heaven. Well, that's going to cut out a lot of speech that I would normally say on the day. Right? It cut out a lot of careless words. I'm going to say this to Robin because Jesus sacrificed himself for me. And he died because I'm a sinner. Therefore, I'm going to say something to Robin. If our minds are set on the things that are above, right, then our thoughts and our speech that we form, they're going to start from a place that it's going to be, you have to work really hard to get into gossip if you start there. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have to do some real work to work down to gossip from that point, to work down to abusive speech from that point. We need to set our mind on those things. Look also in verses 15 through 17 here in Colossians 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So we're supposed to be teaching and admonishing, right? She specifically mentioned songs, right? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And three times in three verses we're told to be thankful or give thanks. Right? 15, 16, 17, every one of them. And be thankful, and be thankful, and give thanks. But verse 17 was the, uh, I think, the kicker is that everything we do in word or deed should be done in the name of Jesus. We all, I often talk about the deeds, right? And I forget about the words. So now it's not just I'm going to have this conversation with Robin and I'm going to say these things starting with Jesus is reigning, but now it's like I'm actually going to have this conversation with Robin because I have authority from Jesus who is reigning to say this. That's what doing something in his name means. Right? When, the, when the police beat on the door and say, open in the name of the law, that's exactly what they're talking about. The law has given them the authority to do this. Well, if I'm going to do something in the name of Jesus, if I'm going to say something, everything I say must be done with the authority of Jesus. Or I can't say it. Not physically can't. I mean, the law says, don't say it. That cuts out a lot of what I say as it should and if I get tired of just sitting silently then maybe I can find some good things to say right turn over to Colossians 4 we'll look at one verse there Colossians 4 verse 6 let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, 
so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Our speech should be something that other people look forward to hearing. Remember when the Queen of Sheba went to see Solomon, she said, Oh, how blessed are your servants who get to sit in your presence and listen to you. Speak. Listen to your wisdom. Our, the way we talk and the things that we say should be something other people look forward to. Because they're receiving grace with what we say. So let's take it up, up a notch, though. Um, what do Christians possess? Right? Think about this. What do Christians possess that needs to be said? We have, we have news that the entire world needs to hear. We've been entrusted with that. Now that doesn't mean that everyone that we share the gospel with is going to enjoy hearing the gospel, but they've received grace, whether or not they feel like they did. Right? So how do we talk about the rest of our life, right? Other, other things in life, our frustrations, and then, you know, in, in some manner that the world would talk about those things, and then turn and say, oh, let me tell you, about salvation and about eternity and about Jesus. Right? Anybody who is paying attention is just going to step back and say, wait, what? Like you're talking about this and now you're talking about this? Right? It's going to be like this well that's spouting two forms of two types of water. Thinking about, well, which one's the real you? Are you selling? Which one's the salesman side and which one's the real side? What's the facade? The Jesus facade, or are you the, you know, just talk in my language facade? Right? That's why all of our speech needs to be gracious as a seasoned with salt. So that when we say something like, you know what? I know a scripture that will help you through what you're going through. That person is not surprised to hear that from you. If you say something spiritual to someone, right? And I've done this. I mean, because I tell you, I didn't come from the best place in life. If you say something spiritual to someone and they're shocked, they're like, what? You know, did you, did you get wrapped up in some kind of cult yesterday or something? Like, you don't ever talk this way. You don't ever say these things. You don't ever care about me. Right? Well, then... There's a problem right? you need to sort out. That doesn't mean you can't try to help somebody, right? Don't, don't ever say, well, I've got to be perfect. I've got to walk perfectly in this life. No. But take the time now, right, because we're all looking at it. It's in front of us right now to say, all right, I'm actually going to watch my speech starting today. I'm going to do better with this. One more passage. Turn over to Titus chapter 2. <clears throat> and then we'll conclude. <clears throat> this really isn't about speech, but there's something that Paul says here that has always stuck with me in verse 10, but I want to read it in context. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible 
In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Our speech can adorn the doctrine of God or not. It does not mean that we change the doctrine of God. It means that when people hear the doctrine of God through our speech, it appears beautiful to them. It's something attractive to them. Not because it's been changed, but because we adorned it with speech commensurate with the gospel, commensurate with the doctrine. We spoke like it teaches, and that makes it beautiful. Right? I'm not saying we need to speak like the old King James. <laughs> right? Oh, he says thee and thou all the time. He must be really spiritual. Right? Care about people and speak to them like you care about their souls. Even when they don't understand what they're caught up in. And then when you can share the gospel with them, they're like, I've seen that you care. And now I hear that you care. Okay. In conclusion, what I would suggest for me and you, spend time in prayer about your speech up front. Right? Even if you don't know specifics, say, I want to speak more like your word speaks. Right? Pray about it. But then I say I would say also separately from prayer, spend time in meditation about your speech. Like sit down and think about, right? Like I said, uh, the exclamation thing, right? Sit down and think, okay, I'm going to train myself to just slow down before I say anything, even exclamations. I'm just going to slow down. And there's going to be an awkward pause when everyone else around me is surprised and I'm standing there quietly. And then I'll, I'll exclaim. Right? Do whatever you've got to do. Right? But meditate on what you're going to do. Think about what you're going to do. Third, well, I, I sort of mixed this in. Slow down, right? Slow down the process of speaking. Not just in exclamations, right? But in any emotionally charged situation. Slow down and say, okay. It's a trigger, right? Emotions are high. I'm going to be quiet before I speak. Fourth, be a blessing to everyone who hears you. And obviously that can't be first. That's why I put it down here in the list. Be a blessing to every single person who hears a word out of your mouth. Intend that they've been blessed somehow. Right? And finally, always be ready to communicate the most important information that exists because you have been entrusted with it. And that is that the person you're speaking with has an opportunity to be forgiven of their sins and spend eternity in heaven. Every person you talk to has that same opportunity. Not every situation is going to present itself such that you can share that. But every person you talk to has that opportunity. So just be ready. 
right? So that your speech will be prepared, right? Even if you can just make them curious about salvation. Okay. I said a lot of words talking about words. Sorry, but um, I think I think it's an important topic for me because of my nature. So I hope it was helpful for you guys as well.